How about that? Hey. All right. Let's give the Lord a hand. Thank you, Jesus. tonight about uh, the uh, shaking the routine of the first mile. There is a first scripture in the fifth chapter of Matthew, just one short scripture I'll read. I'll have more scripture reading in just a bit. The uh, blessedness of going beyond the function of the first mile, the function and whosoever shall compel thee to go a mile, go with him twice. So in the time that Jesus doesn't beat the scripture words, of course, the Palestine was under Roman dictatorship. And the Roman soldiers were coming sight about the land and in the city, heavily armed and ready for uh, combat or for police duty. They had the privilege uh, in uh, commanding a, a Palestinian to carry their pack for them or whatever load that they were obligated to transport and say, hey, you, get under there and uh, put the uh, sword point to their back. Now, <clears throat> the law was that they could uh, force them to carry it one mile. This would give the soldier a chance to get his breath and rest a bit. But at the end of the first mile, he had the privilege of dumping it, and uh, he could glare at the man and uh, say some bad things to him and <clears throat> take off. But Jesus Christ said this, I do not want you to be prisoners of the procedure. I do not want to, you to allow any particular circumstance to dominate you and make your choices for you. At the end of the first mile, you have a choice. You will not be put down. You will not be whipped out. But you will say, it's okay, I'll take it the second mile. You'll walk off a, a bigger man. You'll walk off with the uh, comfort of your own decision and exercising some control in your life. This particular procedure, of course, has worked time and time again. Mr. Gundy uh, showed the worst of it when he uh, led a tremendous revolution in India. So did uh, Martin Luther King and other people that without the sword and without the blast of a gun uh, simply chose to be the, uh, the ruler of their own choices. And I choose this. You've chosen to make me go one mile, now it's my time. I make a choice. I'm bigger than you are. And uh, they walk away, uh, <clears throat> the ruler of their own life. I, relationships tonight are, are a wonderful thing. Life is made up of them. 
And uh, if we live alone, we uh, by ourselves, it's been a proven fact, we lose our skills. We become less skilled in communication, also in the skills relating to uh, uh, other things. We age faster and uh, we die sooner. Usually a person that lives by themselves. God has fixed us to where uh, we uh, reach out and create community. We relate one to another. There's something that flows in the human family. There's something that strengthens us, gives us for reason, for doing things, brings encouragement to us. Relationships thus are extremely important. And the strength of a relationship depends upon commitment to that relationship. There is no such thing as having a wonderful relationship that a person or, or persons without a certain commitment to it. No way, no way. It is impossible to trash a commitment without destroying a relationship. Now, my good people, if you come in contact with people that say that uh, <clears throat> I, bless God, am, in, uh, am delivered from bondage, I had dinner with a man about uh, 18 months ago, known him for a good while. So sat down with him. He called and asked to have dinner with me. He was passing through town, and I knew that uh, he had, uh, had drifted away from, from the truth. So we sat down at the table together, and I said, Well, it's good to see you. I said, um, What's going on? What's happening? And so he arranged his, uh, his cutlery and so on. He said, Well, uh, I'm like I always was, and so on, et cetera. The only thing I've been delivered from bondage. And I said within myself, I'm not letting you get by with that. I've heard that until I get tired of hearing that. I want to say again, it is impossible, utterly impossible, that we should have a relationship without a commitment. That uh, you know that's right. You know that's it. And when you trash a commitment, you're going to destroy the relationship. I call my wife as soon as I get on site at a particular location. I tell her where I am. I tell her what motel I'm in. I tell her what room I'm in. And I give her the, uh, my phone number that is there. If I change places, I call her and say, I am now at such and such a place. She's not eaten up with jealousy. I can say that, but that's never been one problem between she and I. Not one. No, I trust her to the end of the world. And she trusts me too. What do I do it for? Because, bless your heart, she's my wife. And I am committed to a relationship that she and I have. And it's going to be intact. If she's worth that. She is worth that. Amen. She's worth that. Hallelujah. Glory. Bondage. Yeah, bring on the bondage. Amen. It's been good for me for 58 years, and uh, I've enjoyed every, every, all of, well, most of the bondage. Amen. We have. <laughs> it's, a, it's a shame that uh, she won't have a chance to respond on that tonight. That's right. <laughs> and another situation, uh, it's impossible to have a relationship without a response uh, <clears throat> to the parties involved. The person gives, and there, there, must, there will be a response if there's a love, a return, a compliment, and a return. Always a response. I love you. 
and I know what you're going to say next. I love you too. And how many times we've been through that. It looks like we ought to be able to get that settled after a while and understand it. And so, no, sir, it uh, is a statement and a response to the statement. So, if I am preaching tonight, speaking right now, somebody here, if you think that grace is a one-way, dead-end street, and that all of it comes from Jesus Christ, and He saved me, and He saved me, He is my Savior, and His righteousness, I, all of that is true, that is true, but can, let me, got, I got a question for you. Can you imagine heaven populated with people that have no relationship with Jesus Christ? Can you imagine a heaven populated with people who have no relationship with Jesus Christ? It's been a, rece a reception. Come my way, what Jesus has done for me, and so on. What are you doing for him? What is your response? Relationships have responses, or there is no relationship. We need relationships. They are extremely important. I have uh, unfortunately observed more than once now, at the airport, and <clears throat> as I've waited for the incoming plane, and I, and I, I, I'm usually early, usually very early. I don't want to be late for nothing. I don't want to be late for my funeral, and uh, I just, uh, I want to, I want to be on time. Amen. That'd be bad, wouldn't it? And so, uh, <clears throat> I, I've, uh, I've witnessed the fact that the plane has, uh, that I'm going to ride, has pulled up and that people are discharging, folks are walking off. I've observed also that um, uh, about the place maybe a family comes in, especially before the security system has been uh, put in place, and they maybe uh, say a woman with a couple of kids, and, and uh, they would be about the place there. I would surmise that she is there to meet her husband, and <clears throat> the kids will soon see Dad. And I... Uh, so in time, the people start coming off, and, and she gets the, the kids there and, and where they can see them, and she, she prepares them because she wants to give this guy a good welcome. And then, much or not, the guy comes, uh, comes off, and, and he, is, uh, he sees them and, and uh, lifts a hand, and the, uh, the woman <coughs> rushes up to him and, and lifts her arms, and so he... Uh, uh, condescendingly gives her uh, his cheek, and uh, so the the kids grab him around the legs, and and he touches them on top of the head, and and uh, he's is ready to continue his stroke. I tell you what, when I see that, I just think uh, somebody ought to jerk that big lug around and say this: Hey, you, what's going on here? These uh, these are your kids. That's your wife. They came out here. She fixed them up. She cleaned them up for this occasion. You ought to have grabbed her and given her a good squeeze and kissed her right in the mouth. You should have touched your finger to her cheek and looked into her eye and said, my, you're beautiful today. Amen. You should have dropped down on your knees and gathered the kids up and called them by name and said, I've missed you. What's been going on? And uh, my, you look so great. I'm so glad you came. Let me squeeze you again. Yeah, proper responses mean so very much, and relationships are extremely, extremely important. Now, let us read uh, another scripture. 
that is found in the uh, the <coughs> seventh chapter of Luke, verse thirty-six. We will be reading several uh, verses here, so if you would like to turn to that, Luke uh, chapter seven, beginning with verse uh, thirty-six. Luke seven, verse thirty-six. And one of the Pharisees desired him that he would uh, come and eat with him. This is uh, six days before the Passover. The place is Bethany. Jesus has arrived in the environs of Jerusalem to keep the uh, Passover. Jerusalem was five miles away. And while he was there, one of the Pharisees, when he was in Bethany, desired him that he would eat with him. And he went to the Pharisee's house and sat down to meet. And behold, a woman in the city, which was a sinner, and she knew that Jesus sat at meat in the Pharisee's house, brought an alabaster box of ointment, and stood at his feet behind him, weeping, and began to wash his feet with tears, and did wipe them with the hairs of her head, and kissed his feet, and anointed them with ointment. Now when the Pharisee, which had bidden him, saw it, he spake within himself, saying, This man, if he were a prophet, would have known who and what manner of woman this is that touches him, for she is a sinner. And Jesus answering said unto him, Simon, I have somewhat to say unto thee. And he said, Master, say on. There was a certain creditor which had two debtors. He one owed 500 pence and the other 50. And when they had nothing to pay, he frankly forgave them both. Tell me, therefore, which of them will love him the most? Simon answered and said, I suppose that he to whom he forgave the most. And he said unto him, Thou hast answered rightly. And he turned to the woman and said to Simon, Seest thou this woman? I entered into thine house. Thou gavest me me no water for my feet, but she has washed my feet with her tears and wiped them with the hairs of her head. Thou gavest me no kiss, but this woman, since the time I came in, hath not ceased to kiss my feet. My head with oil thou didst not anoint, but this woman hath anointed my feet with ointment. Wherefore I say unto thee, her sins, which were many, are forgiven for she loved much relationship. But to whom little is forgiven, the same loveth little. And he said unto her, Thy sins are forgiven. And they that said it meet with him began to say within themselves, Who is this that forgiveth sins also? And he said to the woman, Thy faith hath saved thee. And in connection with that, John chapter 12 beginning with verse 1. John chapter 12, beginning with verse 1. This is uh, <clears throat> two different men's accounts about the same thing. Then Jesus, six days before the Passover, came to Bethany, where Lazarus was, which had been dead, whom he raised from the dead. And they made a supper, and Martha served. But Lazarus was one of them that sat at the table with him. Then Mary, then took Mary a pound of ointment of spikenard, very costly, 
and anoint the feet of Jesus and wiped his feet with her hair. And the house was filled with the odor of the ointment. Then said one of the disciples, Judas Iscariot, Simon's son, which should betray him. Why was not this ointment sold for 300 pence and given to the poor? This he said, not that he cared for the poor, but because he was a thief and had the bag and there what was put therein. Then said Jesus, let her alone. Against the day of my burying has she kept this. For the poor you have with you always. Four Gospels, all four Gospels refer to this particular situation that happened in the house of Simon. The star uh, participator, of course, was Mary. Six days to the Passover, the Sanhedrin would be meeting uh, or perhaps was already in session. Jesus had come by Bethany to visit uh, Lazarus and his two sisters. Lazarus, of course, Jesus had raised from the dead after he had been in the tomb for four days and four nights. And he was happy to see his friends again. Bethany, the small place of not more than 3,000 people at the most. Just quite a, a, a village. In that village, known well to everyone, was a man who was a ruler, and his name was Simon. Simon had a problem. Upon one of his cheeks, it is said, that there was a telltale white spot and <clears throat> of leprosy. He was known as Simon the leper. And, of course, there was no cure. He wanted to have his cake and eat it too, not like our pastor demonstrated today and the drama depicted. To give up one thing to fill his hands with another, he wanted to have his hands full. That's like people today, the one-way street situation. And But he reasoned this way. I know while the people are out of Bethany and in Jerusalem for the Feast of Passover, the streets are vacant and the houses are empty of populace. For no one knows I will have this one, Jesus of Nazareth, to come to my house. I'll give to him and his, uh, his followers a good feed, and then I'll show him a good time. Then when he leaves and I greet him at the door, well, uh, I know what he will do. He perhaps will say, Simon, what is this on your cheek? And he will lift his fingers and touch this, this white spot, and my leprosy will be healed. I'll tell no one. No one will ever know that I in any way uh, authorized or opened myself up approving this one. And so it will be taken care of. So... <clears throat> This man arranged for such a situation to take place. Now, relationship. Was he talking about a relationship with Jesus Christ? Absolutely not. Hey, there's a lot of folks today want to go to heaven? Yes. Want to stay out of hell? Yes. Want to have a relationship with Jesus Christ? Know him? Well, not hardly. I'd like for him to save me, but if it's going to cost me any time, if it involves going to church, if it involves paying my tithes, if 
It involves living uh, a decent life. Uh, no, I'm not interested in that. I just, I just want him as my Savior, not my Lord, and not my companion, not my true friend. I want it one way, my way. And there's lots of people in the world like that. So, <clears throat> but that's not a relationship. Our lives are very empty without relationships. Without a discussion who this woman was that came in, broke in upon this particular party that Simon had planned and arranged. Tradition said that she was Mary Magdalene, out of whom Jesus had cast seven devils. Matthew and Mark agree and simply say that she was a woman that came off the street. And uh, no recommendation there. Luke plainly says that she was immoral. She's an immoral woman. And John, the last of the Gospels, sums it up and said that she was Mary, the sister of Martha. So now you get the picture. The man died. Lazarus. They've been without mom and dad evidently for a good while. But brother and two sisters living together. They got to grief for a while, but then in time they began to overcome it. And Martha is solid and she is dependable. Mary in time, she begins to flake off. Uh, they don't know what she's doing with all of her time. She doesn't give an account and so on. And it gets worse. Stress comes in the home and then and it's a, a, a known fact to them that she's picking up her money in an immoral way. She's spending time in Jerusalem where the population is larger. And so they hear about her and the curtains of shame is pulled upon the house and uh, here Mary lives. One day in Jerusalem, she is making her way, slinking through the streets at the uh, then she sees a crowd of people. It involves going a detour quite some distance around, but she surmises, I can go through there. I will squeeze against the wall. I will slip sideways. I, I will get past this glut of people that has stopped up the street. But when she gets there and begins to move through this mass of, of humanity, there's something about a voice that is in the front that these people had congregated to hear that's different. And out of curiosity, she pauses and uh, casts a glance over to see who it was. And then she, her steps slow, and finally she stops. And uh, she is, she's in the presence of Jesus Christ. There's something about it that keeps her rooted uh, to the cobblestone. When Jesus is through and the folk drift away and the crowd dissipates, well, she is still tight and slumped against the building in her shame and her loneliness. And, hey, if you're here tonight and you have lived a life of selfishness and it has just been me all the way, I'm telling you tonight, friend, there's going to come a time that you'll wish to God that you have somebody to reach out to. This morning was such a beautiful thing. The love of God was here like a warm blanket. 
God put His arms around this congregation this morning as we stood here. Oh, the beauty of our Lord's wonderful love. How wonderful it is. So, see the poor thing. Jesus, perhaps He speaks to her and, and then in time, He brings deliverance to her. Not all about it, but she knows that she feels different. There's a change that comes. And it's different. So she makes her way back into the home in, in Bethany to fling herself into the broad chest of Lazarus, her brother, and hug him and turn and with tears to enfold Martha in her arms. Sorry, sorry, sorry. And so it was so different now, so different now. Yeah, a relationship established there. And she was willing to respond. She was willing to reciprocate, keep the relationship. That relationship means something to her. You want a relationship with him, Simon? No, I want what I can get out of him. And that's all I want. And uh, <clears throat> that's, that's it. Human <clears throat> worthlessness is a, is a sad thing. She was a worthless person as far as society was concerned. The men that <clears throat> had cohabited with her, if they met her on the street possibly, would even recognize her. If they did recognize her, you can, you can grant it, friend, that they are not going to stop and chat with her in the street. Stick their nose in the air, and they're going to pass by. She's just a thing. That's all she is. Identity and worth, she ha didn't have it. She had been taken advantage of. She had been used. And, and <clears throat> I want you to know today that the world is in the using business. And if you think, I'm going to make a lot of money, and I'm going to, I'm going to stack it away, and I'm going to really be a big shot, I'm going to pound. And in the process, you're going to be used, and you're going to be used, and you're going to be used. And the corporation's going to squeeze you and squeeze you and say, I'm thinking double it again. Come on, you guys. And so we can do it again. And, and they're squeezing the life out of you, using your time, and so on. Interested in you, yeah, but what they can get out of you. Believe me, this world needs this world needs Jesus. He's your friend. He's your friend. He'll love you. It's not what he can just get out of your friend. It's what he can give you. He, he's interested in that. He's interested. And of course, if a relationship evolves, you're going to be given back. Or be no relationship. Forget it. Amen. Amen. Let's all say relationship. Relationship. Let's say it again. Relationship. Praise God. Praise God. And so, <clears throat> the corporate man, it's not unusual for him to say, I worked for this company X number of years and so on. I'll maybe get the bonus and all, but uh, let 10 years go by. Let five years go by. Let three years go by. They'll hardly know that I've ever been around. Interested in what uh, I could do for them, and, and that's it. 
I have heard people say in marriages statements like this. I've heard the woman say, our marriage is, uh, <coughs> is there's nothing to it. I don't count. I'm just somebody that puts the food on the table and washes the dirty dishes and washes their dirty clothes and cl tries to keep the house clean. And uh, that's about all it amounts to. I have heard men say, I don't count here. I, if I didn't bring the check home and so on, I wouldn't be welcome to come in at the front door. It's only what I can produce to keep a roof over their heads and so on. My getting up and going to work and so on is, uh, is, is no. Loneliness, full of exploitation, full of lonely folks. If I've got any smart guys here tonight, any cool cats here tonight, if you think that you can beat the game, that you, you're so smart and so on, oh, no, you're going to be you. You're going to be you. going to be you. Jesus Christ will be your Savior. He'll be your companion. He'll be there for you. Praise God. Yes, he will. Yes, he will. Truth of the matter is, every human being is a unit of worth. Watching myself hurrying through old Denver Airport some years ago before they built the fabulous new one that they've got there now. We were hurrying back to Odessa because there was a wedding scheduled here. And, uh, of course, they had part in the weddings, pastoring the church at that time. I needed to be on site and needed to be there earliest. And nothing must interfere with that. Got to get there. As it happened, we were put out on one end of that long airport, and our flight left out on the other end. And it was tight, the schedule was. And so we were running, and... Uh, We'd get out of breath and we'd walk fast until we'd get our breath and we'd run some more. Gotta make it, gotta make it. And as we progressed through that airport, oh my ears, and I could hear better then than now. Well, I can't hear now. And so uh, I began to hear somebody crying, a woman crying. And she was, she was bawling out. It was not the soft, subdued, controlled weeping of a woman that was in control of herself. She had lost control. And the agony and the pain swept her away in oceans of misery, and she was bellowing out her grief. And I ascertained that we were approaching uh, the source of that crying, and suddenly we come on her. She is over sitting to the side, and she is, she is swaying her head. Her face is swollen, her, as her eyes are closed, her mouth is wide open, and she is falling. I saw her, and instinctively I moved to her. That's what I'm supposed to do, what I want to do. My wife grabbed my arm, and she said, you can't, we can't stop. We've got to get that plane, the wedding, the wedding. I knew that. Oh, that's right. And so we turned, and then I stopped again to do something. So my wife gave me another tug and, and I never did feel good about that. Something I couldn't help. But who was her name? What was her problem? I know this, that that woman was important to God. I know that God knows her name and knew her name. 
He knew the depth of her agony. And I know this, that he waited, hoping that somehow or another she would turn to him so he could help her. That's the God that I'm talking about tonight. I guess it's 18 months ago, I was coming out of the uh, medical center, hospital, and as I started across the street to the parking garage, I happened to look to my right, and a woman, the curb is just so low there, uh, I have, and uh, after you get into the street situation, there's a curb, but it, it's just so low. But a woman had just, it looked like collapsed on that, that curb. Evidently, it looked like she had started to cross to the parking garage, but she was overwhelmed by some catastrophe that had kicked the front door of her life in that morning. And so she sank down there, and she was oblivious to the entire world. She was weeping. And I had bought a uh, Dallas Morning News, and so I just walked across, and I set that, put that newspaper down, beside her and I sat down there she didn't know there's anyone in a, a thousand miles so I just sat there and I, I prayed and I waited and in time she sent something and she looked and saw me sitting there she was a little startled I touched her on the shoulder gently I said I'm sorry I'm so sorry but I care and God cares a million times more than I care. I want to pray for you before I go. And so, placed my hand on her shoulder and prayed for her. I felt the love of God flow toward her. And I knew that God cared. Relationship. Relationship with a God like that. But this woman, there was a time she had no relationship was worthless. She was nothing. And it was just it was just like that in her life. Yes, sir. I went to, was driven through a, a town, I, I suppose of about uh, 20,000 in <coughs> Nebraska some years ago, and they were tearing a prison down. And they were gutting it, and there was piles of rubbish and twisted uh, uh, iron and, uh, out there the reinforcement of that place. And they knocked a big hole right in the prison wall, gigantic wall. And through that, the trucks, dump trucks were making the way. And, and I looked through that hole and I saw all the debris. And I thought of that wall and what had taken place inside of that wall and the people living there. And just this week, I read somebody's opinion that it was better to kill somebody Go ahead and execute them instead of life imprisonment. Better that die than have to live in a place like that. At least that was the person's opinion who wrote in the newspaper. I've never been incarcerated. The only times I've been in jail is when I've gone to try to minister to somebody. And in kindness, they have put me in a cubicle and with the bars around and locked that door and gone away to get the person I'd come to see. And they would bring him, open the door, and put him in there and lock the door and lock us both in there. That even itself was something I didn't enjoy, being locked into something like that. 
been used to going. I've been used to giving life my best. I, I've been used to the outside. I've been used to making decisions and all of that and freedom that has come with those particular choice situations. Yet, I stand before you. I know what it is, my friend, to feel the icy, cold, strong clutches of evil that would reach out to me and, and temptation that would try to put me down. I, I know what it is. I know the wrong that's in my own heart that uh, I have striven to overcome and have overcome. I know all of that. I know all of that. Praise God. Sometimes people blame where they are on something else in somebody. I want to say this kindly tonight, that when you blame something or blame somebody, you're giving credence and power to that particular object that you have blamed and acknowledge that they're bigger than your God and they're bigger than you are. And Jesus said, I don't want you to live like that. You're bigger than that Roman soldier. You're bigger and better than he is. You have choices to make to make you feel good. Amen. Hallelujah. Lord, praise God. So Mr. Martin Luther King did something great for this nation. Not just, just for his people, but an example and a principle that is good and it's true. Mr. Gandhi is in history and did something for the entire world. But life attempted to draw the boundaries for Mary. When a person gets out of prison, it's not just that they're outside of the, of the concrete wall. Right here, I was standing one Sunday morning. I was getting my uh, <clears throat> overhead projector, uh, and someone walked in. It was early. I was surprised to have a visitor. As the gentleman walked across the, the building, and I approached, I recognized him as a man who came to God in this church years ago. And he was faithful while he was here. And then one night, forthrightly, he told me, Pastor, I want you to pray for me. Uh, you won't be seeing me um, anymore. Uh, you, you leaving town? Yes, leaving town. I'm going to prison. Something that's been pending for some time, and I could tell you what the whole uh, legal situation is, but that's what it is. Well, he went. And for years he'd been in penitentiary. He was out. And the first public place he comes to is this church. He stayed here for a while. He moved out of town. I was glad to see him. He was glad to see me. And we embraced and we talked. But it's different. He's not the same. He still loves God and all of that. But he's looking around. Looking over his shoulder. He's, he's observing. Is anybody listening? Is there anybody else around here? He was outside of one wall. But there was the second wall. That was just as real. Just as real. 
I might be talking tonight to somebody here that you're a prisoner of the one-mile syndrome, the expectation of, of community, of the people, of society, and you're a prisoner of it, and you're going to jump when they say jump, and you're going to act just like they act, and you're going to respond just like they respond, and Jesus said, don't do it. Be your own boss. Say, hey, okay, you made me do it, huh? I choose to do this. I'll take it another mile. Praise God. Praise God. I have control over that. Feels good to exercise some control. And I'll do that. I'll do that. It was like... Uh, Martin Luther King said to the sheriff, as they approached with this Savannah, Georgia, and a long line of many, many people were behind, and they had walked the distance and made the freedom march. Now it is decreed you are not coming into the city for any kind of a demonstration. They mobilized many cars. There were many troops. There was even a tank present. And approaching that bridge was a group of weary, sweating people. And the sheriff met them. Stop! He stopped. Turn around. Go back down the road. And Mr. King's words were soft. Um, he says, we can't stop. Why can't you stop? We have come too far. The people are tired. And we can't stop. You may beat me. You may shoot me. But there's one thing you can't stop me from doing. And that is, you can't stop me from praying for Let's pray. And they fall on their knees. And Jesus said, Bravo! Don't be a prisoner of the first mile that draws it in the dust, that watches it so close. The contract says death, and the agreement was that. And bless your heart, you're not going to get one inch there. I fight you. Yes, sir, go ahead. That's the way the world does it. And we're fighting, and we're fighting, and we're fighting. And Jesus says, don't do that. I speak tonight to somebody here that their circumstance or whatever else that has made you a prisoner, incarcerated you with the chains of human or corporate expectation. And you just function within the wall, the perimeter of the one mile. not good. Brother Yaden said to me one time, he said, Brother Pugh, when I have been the most effective in my life in serving God, it has been when I have gone beyond myself. There you have it. There's the wall. When I have gone 
beyond myself. He said, for instance, I was pastoring in El Paso, Texas one time. It's been years ago. World War II was on. Lots of soldiers. Downtown El Paso, he said, there is a plaza. Park-like situation, fountain, and so on. One of the soldiers attending the church where I pastored, he was so energetic and enthused over the fact that he was doing a work there on that plaza and with these soldiers, that he was witnessing. And he said, Pastor, you'd be amazed how many hungry people that you come in contact with. Saturday morning, Saturday afternoon, I want you to come with me next Saturday. Brother Yaden said, This, I'm an old ex-cowboy. I was almost raised on a horse. I have slept on the rocky ground in the plains of, uh, of Wisconsin and other places. He said, uh, Covered all the ground I stood on, and I've been a man to live to myself. I don't have too much of this outgo. I don't want no insults. I don't want any rejections. And, uh, and I'm, I'll protect myself. But I felt I should go. And so we went. And the soldier was so excited. So excited. And he said, look at him, look at him. We're going to have a good time today. And so he just left me and he waited out and he began to make his approaches, smiling and, and getting acquainted and, and so on. I was standing there. I felt so clumsy, useless, and I'm talking about the periphery of the one mile deal, the second prison wall. Saved, yes, escaped the first prison. But what saint isn't here tonight? She would like to break out and break through, leave something behind and snap off some shackles different than to be free. So I started out talking. And I just, the Spirit of God came on me and I, I just thoroughly enjoyed all that day perhaps. He said, we spit there and it just went by. So, and I met so many hungry fellows away from home, scared and bored and, and they needed somebody and then he said, when I was in the hospital and it looked like I was dying, I was two beds in the room. The man next to me was suffering. I had these tubes and so on. And uh, very difficult for me to get around. Maybe I wasn't supposed to. But he was suffering one night got out of the bed and got my paraphernalia around and got over there to him and laid my hands on him. And I said, you don't know me. I don't know you. It doesn't matter. God knows us both. I'm going to talk to him about you. And I prayed for him. Next day he said, say, i got a buddy that's in a room down the hall. He wants you to come pray for him. And, well, I can't. Well, we'll see if maybe if the nurses can roll you out. And if you roll you, would you go if they rolled you down there? Well, 
yeah, I'd do that. So when I went beyond myself, when I went beyond the ordinary, the boredom of the, of the function, one mile, expectation, going to live it within certain parameters, uh, going to be just this, the boredom of it, the captivity of it. Am I talking right now? Somebody here that you feel in some areas of your life that you are captured, that you have not broken out and broken free. I went to a uh, seminar one time, some years ago. One of the segments of the seminar was home Bible study, and the person that made the biggest impact in that particular segment was a lady a precious Pentecostal woman. She spoke with tears and she spoke so sincerely. And I came up to her right after that session was over and I said, you really, you really blessed me today and I really appreciated what you had to say. Home Bible study, I said, I guess you have a knack for it and, you know, kind of gifted in that. She shook her head. She said, that's not true. She said, you're looking to somebody that had no gift for this. She said, I was strictly to myself. And I didn't have much association with even folks in the church, but there was a woman, somehow or another, that didn't even go to church. I got acquainted with her through some kind of deal. And we were on the same wavelength of a lot of stuff that we just hit it off well talking we felt the ease with one another and uh, we spent time together and uh, enjoyed that and one night God moved on our church and God arrested us standing at the front for family prayer I was reaching after God and God said to me I want you to teach so and so a home Bible study oh she is that woman that's got everything in order. Her house is speaking span. She makes her plans and they're so well kept and executed. She is just, she is the epitome of, of perfection in so many things. I, she overwhelms me. I, I'm inadequate to try to teach her anything. I want you to teach so-and-so a home Bible study. You are the closest one to her in the whole world. If you don't reach out to her, she's going to go to hell. I want you to teach her a home Bible study. She said, I fasted three days. I, this was not my nature. The first wall, then comes the second wall, you know. The first mile, then comes the second mile, you know. And she said, would you know, the day I broke my fast, my phone rang. It was my friend. Where in the world have you been? Well, I've been here. You know, I hadn't heard a thing from you in X number of days. I just baked a pie. I just took it out of the oven, put on a fresh pot of coffee. Why don't you come down with some pie and coffee? Okay. So I go down, 
She cooks good. She does everything good. Coffee's good. The pie's good. We sit there and eat it. So, chit-chat's all right, but that's not what I come for. Oh, God, help me. It's not funny, I said. You know, our church is doing something that I think's really neat. We give home Bible studies to, to people that want them. They can come to your house or we go to their house, whichever is the most convenient, and we have home Bible study. And uh, I, I'd, like to have, I'd like to have one with you. Ah, that's it's different. It's different from just chit-chat. That's getting out into another area. That she kind of lost it for a bit there, a little confused, and then she's back again. How oh, with that smile. Oh, that's so sweet of you. That's just like you. Think of somebody uh, else and so on. I'm sure I'd enjoy that so much, but really, with all the things I've got going on, now I don't know how that I could arrange any time for, for that. She said, I have fasted three days. I have prayed. I've got to the place that I cared. And I just exploded when she said that. I jumped out of my chair. I rushed at her. I dropped down on my knees beside her and gripped her forearms. I looked her straight in the face and I screamed at her. I said, but you don't understand. I love you. I don't want you to go to hell. That is different. Draws back now. She's knocked off of her roost. And then, well, Okay. We'll see what we can do. And so we arranged the time. A woman said to me, Brother Pugh, there was never anything that happened to me in my life that was so rewarding as that Sunday morning when she came to the front and knelt and had not been kneeling long till she was speaking in tongues. Said that set me free. And I've been at it ever since. Free, free, free. Got any rivers you think are uncrossable? Got any mountains you can't tunnel through? God specializes in things thought impossible. He can do what no other friend can do. Right here, on this spot right here, I went another mile. I broke through another wall one Sunday morning. I've always been conscientious about using people's time rightly, trying to be prepared the best that I can when I use their time and I stand before them. But we were having adult class here in the auditorium at that time, and we had about 30 minutes worship. And 
I wanted God's presence there to be evident and not just some functionary situation. I was talking to God about that. I said, for the sake of your people, for the sake of your people, for the sake of your people. God, I'm sorry I'm not any better servant. I see others so bold and just go right straight out and lay hands upon people and pray for them. And, and God, you know how I was raised. And this is an old country boy. And I'm shy. I'm timid. And the Lord brought a fragment of Scripture to me. Faith that worketh by life. And the Lord said, if you'll just love them, and if you teach, you look at them and think about how much God loves them how much you love them and let love reach out and then what the impulse that you feel when you do that obey it and this is the track that faith runs on this is what works faith faith that works by love do that I'm so happy to tell you friend that it's different now than it used to be I teach, I teach seasoned preachers. I teach them sometimes nine hours at a time until I see their eyes glaze over. And then I know that uh, I've taught long enough. Yeah. But I don't back down. I lay my hands on them. I come to them as a friend. I tell them, listen here, don't close up on me. I'm an old man. I don't want no office. I don't want no church. What you going to do if you don't like this? What you going to do about it? You can't vote me out. Amen. Praise God. Woo! Woo! This woman <clears throat> did not choose to give power to the old life. And uh, Simon said, who, we're gonna get, who am I going to get to cook the dinner? Well, there's nobody in <clears throat> town cooked better than Martha. I'll get Martha to do it. Well, there's Lazarus. Of course, Jesus would like to see him. We'll invite Lazarus, too. And uh, so we'll... We'll have the big dinner. Nobody will ever know about it. All 13 of those, those guys, they'll be here. And Lazarus can come too. Okay. Then <clears throat> the approach to Lazarus. Hey, Lazarus, I, I'd like to do something for Jesus. I'd like to have a big dinner for it. Nobody can cook like your sister Martha. I'd like for her to cater it. I'll take care of it, uh, expense and everything, make it worthwhile. And um, she'll do that and so on. And we want you to come too, Lazarus. We'll have a good time. And uh, now, Lazarus, is something else here. I, I'm sure you'll understand. I know Mary's doing better. I know Mary's home now and all of that. But you know how things are, you know. I've got 
my position to think about your town. Uh, you, you can work it out. We better not have Mary over. Just better leave her out. And so Mary talks, Lazarus talks to Mary. Mary, I'm so sorry. That's what he said. It's his house, you know. And he's the one giving the invitation. And I'm sorry. It's that way. And so there's a rattling of pots and this and that. <coughs> Martha's getting the stuff together. And <coughs> Lazarus helps her lug the stuff down the, <coughs> the street to Simon's house. And they go out the door and everything's quiet now. And she's left in the silence of the house, alone with her. Jesus is down there. Jesus. He made the difference in my life. Made the difference. I'd like to be there too. Finally, she must have exploded inside. So what? You're not doing this to me. I'm not the woman I used to be. I'm saved. I'm different. I will not dance to somebody else's music. I will not live up to somebody else's expectation. I will not stay in the perimeter of one mile. I'll break through another wall. Yeah, I'm going down there. Uninvited, unwanted. She headed down the street with a little something in her hand. And she crashes that part. Bunch of men. They're on the pillows and the couches and Roman-style tables, not more higher than that. Leaning on the left arm, reaching over with the right, and the meal is in process. She steps inside, blinks her eyes to adjust to the dimness, and she sees him. You know, folks, Jesus is all that matters. He's all that matters. Jesus, Jesus. Jesus, Jesus. He's the motivation and the energy behind ever effective ministry. She drops at his feet. She, she loves him. Tears pour. I've seen tears puddle up on altars. It's been a long time since I've seen that. We've gotten so far away from the Bible and consequently old-fashioned conviction until people don't sorrow no more. Right. Yeah. His feet's a mess. It's wet and she don't have anything. She loses her hair. Throws, pulls it back. Throws it this way, pulls it back. And he broke out whatever expectation was landed upon her. Yes, sir. How did it work out? Wonderful for her. But it really showed some other folks out there. Judas was a counter. Back in the background, in the midst of this sobbing, in the midst of this tender, vulnerable love, in the midst of the exposure of this woman's feelings in public, there breaks out a cold, gravelly voice in the back. 
which could be heard distinctly. Why was not this ointment sold for 300 pits and the money given to the poor? Hypocrite, hypocrite. He wasn't interested in the poor. He wanted some more money in the bag to steal. And there's folks that nobody rebuked him. There might have been a simp there. The woman was in it. That was against custom. You've got to stay within the one mile, you know, and uh, do what people expect you to do. Woo! I tell you what, I just really enjoy sometimes breaking plumb slap out of people's expectations. Praise God. Another person that had doubts was a fellow that was hosting the deal that had the spot of leprosy upon his cheek, who needed help so bad, but he cut himself off from help. But his attitude, he couldn't get out of that first mile. He couldn't get beyond the first wall. This woman is a sinner. If he were a prophet, he would have known that. He would not have suffered her to touch him. That stinks. That stinks. So it was. Johnny's all over, and Judas is mad. He can see right now that Jesus Christ is not going to be the political figure that he had hoped for. He flung himself out away from there. He made a trip straight to Jerusalem faster than he'd ever been in his life. Searched out the Sanhedrin and he says, I'll sell him to you. I'll betray him. He's angry. I want some money for it. Money, money, money. First mile, first mile, first mile. So they break up and they're leaving. Simon is greeting them at the door as they pass by and perhaps Jesus is the last one. He passes by. He got nothing. Only one person in that meeting got anything. She got it all. And Jesus said, wherever this gospel is preached, wherever it's preached, this is going to be spoken of as a memorial to this one. You know, it's a wonderful thing to rise above yourself. There was a book written some time ago. I, I believed in it. I still do. The name of it was the Peter Principle. It gave the reason why certain companies, certain corporations stagnate. Because here is a guy that shows competence at this level, so they promote him. 
He shows confidence at this level so they promote him. But in time, he reaches the ultimate of his competence. And he is promoted perhaps to the top, but he's not competent. He's simply promoted. He has been promoted to the highest level of his incompetence. So everything underneath him stagnates because I want to live the way he wants me to live. I want to give until there's just no more to give. I want to love, love till there's just no more love. Shall we stand? <clears throat> Glory. The prophet Joel wrote a prophecy one time. The prophet simply said, Woe unto those that are ease in Zion. Woe to me when I feel like that I know how to preach. Woe to me when I don't care no more. Woe to me when my heart's not in it. Woe to me. Woe to you when it's just coming to church. Not even a hand lifted in worship. Never an invitation to a sinner. Never a care for a soul. But it's self, self, self. One mile, one mile, one mile, one mile. First wall, first wall, first wall. What about that second wall? Don't you hold to it? Would you dare? Would you dare? So, a man wrote, He invited me to the edge. I said, No, I'm afraid. He invited me to the edge. I came to the edge. And he pushed me. And I flew. Would you dare go beyond the edge? Would you dare? Let's, let's have prayer together tonight. This morning was so wonderful, the church together, family, church family. We're privileged to do something for God in Odessa that we do that together as a, as a team, as a family. Praise God. Glory! Thank you, Jesus. Thank you for coming. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. Oh, yeah! Praise God. Praise God. Praise God. Glory. Thank you, Lord God. Thank you, Lord God. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. <clears throat> Hallelujah. Only one time around, folks. 
Only one life will soon be passed, and only what's done for Christ will last one time around, one time around. Let's give it our best shot. Amen. Let's give it our best shot. Relationships, that's where it is. That's where it is. Relationship with Jesus Christ. Response. And that he died for all. That they which live should henceforth not live unto themselves. Not since Calvary. Not since Calvary. Surely not. Response. He gave. I give. Praise God. Hallelujah. Let's talk to the Lord tonight. Thank you, God. Thank you, God. Thank you, God. You are so good, God. You're so precious. Thank you for this moment, dear Lord. Thank you for this moment. Oh, blessed Jesus, thank you for this moment. Appreciate you, Jesus. I thank you, Lord. I thank you, Lord. Glory to Jesus. Glory to Jesus. Glory to Jesus. Appreciate you, Jesus. I appreciate you, Jesus. I appreciate you, Jesus. Glory to your name. Glory to your name. Oh, we give ourselves.